So the Israelites have gone through different challenges and they have come out victorious and they recognize in many ways the hand of God and they forget that sometimes the hand of God amongst them. As we move over into chapter 18, and if you remember Jethro, who was the priest of Midian and also Moses' father-in-law, well, he hears all about what God has done for Moses and the Israelites. And he decides to go and visit Moses. And he takes with him Zipporah, so Moses' wife, and Moses' two children, Gershom and Eliezer. And they go out to meet Moses because Moses has sent them back while he was in the process of the deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt. Now, when they all arrive, they are so happy to see Moses. And the scripture records how Moses just, he embraces Jethro. He bows before him and he kisses him. And they spend time catching up and just having that good family moment. And so in verse 10 to 12, we read, Jethro said to Moses, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, for in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. And it says, Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and offered sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. So this is a great time. Um, Jethro acknowledges the greatness of God. And he, he knows all this has happened because he has heard what God has done. So if Jethro has heard, can you imagine all the other people surrounding uh, this, this new nation how they would have heard about what God had done for the Israelites. All right, so the next day, Jethro sees his, his son-in-law Moses in an administrative role. He is sitting down before the people, and he's judging the people from morning to evening. They're having disputes and uh, different, you know, different issues, and they're coming before Moses to find out what God would say. And Jethro watches Moses do this, and he asks him why he's doing this all alone. And Moses responds, because the people come to him to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me and I judge between one and another and I make known the statute of God and his laws. So just imagine there are millions of people, they're in the wilderness, they're learning how to live with this new freedom, learning how to live um, as the people of God in that sense. And they have challenges, they have disputes and they come before Moses and he is the only leader there that can really judge between them and to share what the Lord would say. And so when Jethro sees this, he, he's concerned. And so he, he talks to Moses about it. In verse 17, it says, Moses' father-in-law said to him, this thing that you do is not good. You and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. So we're seeing that Jethro really cares about Moses and he wants him to be, have longevity in his role. Verse 19, listen now to my voice and I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place 
such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that even every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure. And all this people will also go to their place in peace. So Jethro gives Moses a strategy for leadership and a strategy for administration. And I remember one speaking with another leader and we were talking through uh, this strategy and the question was asked, well, if God had spoken to Moses and told Moses, you know, how to deliver the people, where to bring them and, you know, just everything that the people needed to know, why wouldn't God tell Moses this strategy? And of course, we do not have the detailed answer in the scripture. He doesn't really uh, describe why he or explain why this happened the way it is. But based on the precedents that we see before, I believe that God, he, he enables us to work together. He enables us to, to practice that humility where we can listen to one another. And also we learn wisdom from one another. And, and Jethro was a man of leadership. He was a man of administration. And he had a strategy that would enable Moses to be able to do the will of God. And if it wasn't what God wanted Moses to do, I believe that God would have intervened. But Moses listens to what Jethro says, and he follows this strategy of administration. He says that, listen, your place is to be before God and for you to pray and intercede for the people, to hear what God is saying for the people. All the small matters, let leaders handle that. Learn to delegate. So you're seeing that their leadership structure is starting to be built. God is the supreme leader. He is the one who is leading um, the Israelites through this journey. And Moses is his spokesperson. And now Moses will have people who will be like a spokesperson for him as well and be able to share what God is saying to the people. So we see Moses is humble enough. He's teachable enough to listen to what his father-in-law says and also to implement it. So for this strategy to work, Moses would have to delegate and he would have to raise up leaders among him. And um, there are some conditions for what the for these leaders to meet. And once they do, they would be able to follow through with the work of God in such a way that God will be honored, Moses will be able to endure, and the people will also have a responsibility to follow God in their own personal life. So we see a leadership team starting to take shape. And after he gives a strategy, Jethro leaves, returns to his home. We go into chapter 19 and listen, the Israelites, they have been through much. Remember, they won their battle with Amalek and now there's greater order in the camp. We have a Moses before the Lord and we have leaders over thousands, leaders over hundreds, leaders over tens who are helping to administrate. And now they come to the place of the Mount of Sinai and they're camping there. This is where God instructed Moses to bring them to 
after they would have left Egypt. Verses three to six says, and Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my command, my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So he takes these words, these instructions that the Lord has given him, and Moses goes now and he relays them, he conveys them to the children of Israel. And when they hear it, they say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses continues to, to talk with, with God. And he says, behold, I come to you in the thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. And God instructs Moses to lead the people into a time of consecration, to wash their clothes, prepare their hearts, ready themselves, um, to, to actually encounter God's presence. It would take three days and God will come down upon Mount Sinai in the midst of the people. And God wants the people to hear his voice. And there's a purpose for that. They would believe Moses, that they will hear the words they speak and they will be able to believe him forever. But there are some specific instructions that God gives to Moses to, to actually facilitate this meeting. He says, you shall set bounds for the people all around saying, take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned with shot or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So God gives them boundaries. And listen, boundaries are necessary in life for the worship of the Lord, for your relationships with others. We need healthy boundaries. Sometimes when we don't learn how to put healthy boundaries, we build walls and then we, we deprive other people of the light of our lives and we also like waste away internally. So he does, God doesn't want us to have these strong, strong walls. He wants us to have healthy boundaries that come with responsibility of how, how we handle one another and how we value the relationship. And so between God and the people, God who is perfect and completely holy and the people, they will die in his, his manifest presence because he is completely perfect and he is holy. So he gives them boundaries. These boundaries are for them so that they will be able to live and uh, become the people that God has called them to be. So on the third day, there was a very thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound. And Moses brought the people out of the camp in around the mountain to meet with God. And Moses spoke and God answered by voice, the audible voice of God they were able to hear. And then he calls Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses goes up. And in verse 21 and verse 22, he, he speaks to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to gaze at the Lord and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. So the Lord doesn't want them to, to touch the mountain or come up to where the Lord is. Moses says to them, we've already put things in place that they can't break through. God says, no, go. 
go make sure go and he says, when you come back bring Aaron with you and as we continue over into chapter 20 when Moses returns to the top of the mountain that's when God speaks with Moses and he gives him the moral law uh, we call the first section of it the Ten Commandments and this is the instructions of how they are to live they need a moral law God is really shaping them and, 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 and putting the structure so that they will be a nation a people onto God. And so they need to know what is required of them and how they are to live as the people of God. There are 10 commandments. I'm just going to list them for you. The first one is you shall have no other gods before me. This doesn't mean that you could have some gods, gods, but put none of them before me. This means that there shall be no gods. Once you have God, he is everything. He is enough. So there's no other God that can come in, near to him or before him. And this is important because remember, they are to be God's people. They cannot dabble in other things or have God and. They need to have God and God only. Number two, you shall make no idols, all right? So these are no statues, nothing out of wood, nothing out of gold, nothing like that. They are not to worship any creature or any anything that is made with human hands. No idol. All right, number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. All right. So he doesn't want them to use God's name in, in, in cursing or blasphemy or using it in some kind of careless way or even claiming God's name, but not living like God's people. This is important. And even if you look in the Jewish, Jewish culture, they many times don't even write the name of God before they couldn't even speak the name of God because it was to be holy and it was to be reverenced. All right. So we were not supposed to use God's name carelessly or hypocritically. Now, the fourth one is keep the Sabbath day holy and keep it as a day unto the Lord. Number five, honor your father and your mother. And in this command, uh, it also says, for your day shall be long in the, in the land of the living. So there's a commandment with a promise. Treat your parents well, respect them and honor them. It doesn't say if they treat you well or if they do good for you. This is all about your, your responsibility and your behavior. And then there will be a promise that God will give you. All right, so number six, you shall not murder. We, each of us, are not God. And so he puts that, that instruction there, we are not to murder one another. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. We're not to sleep with other people's spouses. Number eight, you shall not steal. Don't take what doesn't belong to you. And sometimes we can qualify what we consider stealing to be. But if it doesn't belong to you, if it is not yours, do not take it. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your brother. So at the heart of this is we're not supposed to lie. We're not supposed to speak things that are not true. And then with the extension is that we are not supposed to now go and bring bad news or false news or um, slander against other people. We are supposed to speak the truth and we are to be our brother's keeper.
And number 10, you shall not covet. You shall not want what doesn't belong to you or what belongs to your neighbor, and you shall not take what doesn't belong to you. All right? So you shall not covet. And in all of these commands, where God is seeing, uh, setting the moral law for, for the Israelites and also watching their obedience and disobedience to what he has asked them to do. If I go into the future, uh, Jesus, when he comes, he takes all of these laws and he puts them onto two, into two. Number one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and you love your neighbor as you love yourself. Upon these two hang all of the laws. If we practice those, listen, every one of these 10 will be covered. So God gives these commands to Moses. And as he's up there, there are like, there's thunderings and there's lightning because God is speaking and the people are afraid. So let me read to you verses 18 to 19. It says, now all the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Verse 19, then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. So they already want to make sure that they have that intermediary um, between them and God, which would be Moses, because they can't handle the, the power and the spectacular um, environment in which God dwells. Now, Moses goes up to the Lord and he communicates with God, but it's not that Moses is perfect. Understand that. Remember, Moses ran from Egypt into Midian because he murdered a person. Moses was not perfect, but Moses had been forgiven by God and he had been restored by God. And he knew what it was to have the, the concept of grace. He received something that he did not deserve. And God was merciful towards Moses and used him in a mighty way. So after they give the commands, there's a couple other things that God releases to Moses. He gives them the law of the altar. So verse 24 to 26, it says, An altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice it, a sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For if you use your tool on it, you shall profane it. You have profaned it. Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. So we're seeing here that there are some sacrifices, different types of offerings that are coming into play, the bird and the peace. We'll learn about them a little later. And also how to make the, the altar, what it should be made out of. God is being clear of how he wants these altars to be built and he's gonna give greater details later on. And so we're seeing that sacrifices are going to, are an important part of atonement, forgiveness, and also the, the system of worship for the Israelites. And of course, it's important because as we go, we're going to see that Jesus became our final um, sacrifice in that sense, and that through him, we enter into, into new life. And it continues on into chapter 21. And as we go into the next few chapters, you will see that there's uh, there are many laws on a wide variety of subjects, and it's going to include um, laws with the treatments of servants, the treatment of people, murder, manslaughter, manslaughter uh, violent assault, and even um, animal laws. 
how you are responsible for your animals and the animals of others. So these these laws um, come so that he so that they begin to live in such a way where they honor God and treat each other well. God is shaping. As you said, word again, He's shaping this nation, this people, in a way that reflect His glory and His character. So as we go, it starts off with laws concerning slaves. Many people think of slavery in the Bible, saying that the Bible was actually responsible for creating slavery, and we blame God and we blame the Bible. But that's not really what it is. And I want to read you this quote by Charles Spurgeon, and he says, Moses did not institute slavery in any shape. The laws concerning it were made on purpose to repress it, to confine it within very narrow bounds, and ultimately to put an end to it. In this new chapter, I want to read just a couple of verses. It says in verse two to four, if you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years. And in the seventh, he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then he, his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be the masters and he shall go out by himself. And if you continue in that section, there's a, there are other parameters or other aspects to this, this role of, of servants. And God Listen, when you read it, it's so interesting because because you see the justice of God in in it. Even the, how female servants are are treated, all of that is included in it. And if you notice here also, they serve six years and then the seventh they they go free. So it's the whole idea of like the Sabbath. Um, it's for people. It's for the land as well as also for servants. They serve six years and the seventh year they must be let free. Uh, it gives you all the other aspects of it. All right, so there's also laws concerning violence in this chapter. So um, verses 12 to 15, let me read them for you. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. However, if However, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place where he may flee. But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. And he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. And it continues on with all of these um, parameters and how you're supposed to work with people who commit violence and commit murder. With these laws, they're able to, to live well with one another and also have justice. And we continue on into the final section of this chapter, which uh, which includes laws about animals, right? So even animals are important because remember, the Israelites were shepherds. They have a lot of livestock and um, they were people of the field in that sense. And so if you harm someone else's animal, you're taking away their livelihood. That That is very, very important. So in these laws, is conveying the idea of responsibility and the idea of consequences for our behavior and how we treat other people and how um, the consequences for our actions upon another. And so God is clear to the people of Israel, and I dare say it to us today, that you have to take responsibility for your actions. He's building in them an understanding that they have, I want to use the word sense of self, that they 
they have the idea of personhood that you cannot just blame other people. You have to take responsibility and also face the consequences of your actions. And he lets them know in advance what's going to happen so that they don't get shocked or surprised about the consequences if they engage in this type of behavior. So as we see, as we're continuing through these laws, starting with the Ten Commandments and then the ones about, about servants and, and violence and about animals, that God is really shaping and, and setting within the, the, the congregation of people his moral laws and how he expects them to deal with him with each and with each other as his people. He's leaving nothing to chance. He's making sure that it's outlined from the beginning so that they will bear the mark. They may bear the mark of the one who has created this people, who is God himself. <music>